one one analyst was saying, and it's it's a guy at um, I think he's called <laughs> Matthew Bell at Ca- Canalis. Is it Canalis or Canalis? I think they pronounce Canalis, it. Canalis um, was saying that by by sort of divesting this business, in theory, they could use that as a supplier mm. of x86 chips. Yeah. Right. So the server chip business becomes a separate entity owned by somebody else isn't subject to US sanctions anymore in the same way Honor isn't mm. gets its x86 chips from the people it needs yeah. and then and, and then sells them on and then sells I them mean, on to Huawei you- hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast my voice is apparently a bit deeper today because I was out on the lash last night with my bro and some of his colleagues. So I've got a sort of Barry White thing going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not feeling that well rested, but it's amazing what a, what a bit of hazy Jane does to on top of you up. On top of my... Yeah, I went, to, I went to the car intending to get a Red Bull, perked myself up, didn't have any, so I ended up having to get this sort of thing with ginseng in it which apparently perks you up i don't know i'll let i'll let you supposed to be good for you isn't it yeah i'll let you and the audience be the judge yeah um so uh yes no guests this week in fact we haven't got any lined up explicitly for the for the rest of the week uh year really yeah we had a good run we did have a good run yeah oh um, isn't there a possibility of of well maybe i shouldn't preempt it by mentioning the company that is talking about Oh, there was, yeah, there was, well, I haven't heard. Makes equipment, it's quite big. Um, I haven't heard anything. Through, through our mutual contact. Uh, I'm yeah, not, anyway. actually not sure what you're going on about, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a possibility, there was a possibility of getting someone from Nokia on, wasn't there? Might as well just say it. It's not exactly oh, right. Yet. Oh, yes, that's Remember? true. I've forgotten yeah. about that. Yeah, which sounds which like Which might still happen. happen. Yeah. yeah, we just got to have someone. Someone quite senior as well. Yeah, well, that'd be good. And then maybe that'll set a precedent. Then maybe Ericsson yeah. chuck someone on. Um berate us for taking a piss out of Swedish accent. If, yeah. I, get, if I get Sweden on, I can't be going, hello, welcome to the podcast. That'd have be a to, bit insulting to, to their accent. face, wouldn't it? I don't, don't know what a Finnish harder. accent We'll have to ask Way what a Finnish accent is. Yeah. We could get him to do it. There we go. Anyway. Um, uh, better not witter for too long. Last, last week was an epic mm. preliminary witter, wasn't it? Um, it was. Uh, just one other little <clears throat> incidental I want to mention is I was on someone else's podcast yesterday. Oh. I was interviewed by Babel PR. Mm-hmm. They do a podcast thing, so it's quite it's quite novel being on on the guest side of it. Yep. So thanks a lot for that, Babel. Look forward to hearing that when it comes out. Don't think I and said anything too career threatening. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were just asking me about you know industry stuff, journalisty stuff. Um, I got to I got to moan about um, sort of incoherent and fallacious trolls a little bit more. Yeah, um, I've still got I've got one guy's just. He's been hassling me this week. It's quite fun. Just giving me, just saying, you know, you need to do more of this and less of that. And I'm going, cheers, mate. Thanks for the tip. On any particular story? Or? No, he just, he just doesn't like, just don't like my attitude. Thinks I need to, needs to straighten up my ideas. And I'm just like, all right, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to, so bye. <laughs> um, so, yes, that's that. But let's crack on because uh, Pierre's got to go and do grown upsness of some sort, don't you? Um, what are we going to chat about this week? Right at the end of last week, we mentioned um, Huawei's latest quarter sort of as the very last thing. We only gave it <coughs> about a couple of minutes. And then I wrote it up on the Monday. Yeah, Monday morning is always an interesting 
time and, and sometimes you have to be creative mm. if there hasn't been anything particularly exciting happening over the weekend and I thought I'm going to write it up anyway even though I was late to the game because I, I thought it was interesting and I combined it with tracking um, the uh, quarterly smartphone shipment numbers um, so that's our most read story of the week so we're going to leave with that and, and you've been writing some Huawei stuff as well um, then I think we're going to talk about fibre again you know there've been a few little um bits of news coming out of quarterlies we have like sort of BT Virgin um It's a good segue actually from Huawei into fiber. Yes. Well yeah. quite especially with your coverage of Huawei this week. So we're going to talk about um those new that news and, and I think just talk more generally about you know the state of fiber right now in terms of investment um rollout all that sort of thing. And then we're going to conclude with a bit of a it's well it's not a quirky but it's a bit of an odd story that um I think I just wrote up today. And I think, um, like reading covered yesterday, um, about C-band in the US, which is like a mid-band spectrum that's auctioned at great expense earlier at the start of this year. Um, now they're suddenly worried that 5G over C-band is going to mess with like the safety systems of airplanes. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, you know, I mean, why is that even a thing? Why is that just coming up now? I know. Um, so those are the three I mean, things we're going to chat smell about. A, I smell a rat. Yeah, well, quite. So those are three things we're going to chat about. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook slash Meta, I'm not going to call it Meta, all right? No, so no, one's too gonna, bad. no one's ever going to call it yeah. Meta. But, but it would, it's not on Meta. It's on Facebook. That's true. Yeah, because yeah. Meta's the whole thing. It's like, it's like Alphabet. No, no one says Alphabet. No. Yeah. Anyway. It's on, so it's on YouTube. No, yeah, anyway. If you're watching it on any of those things, um, then you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. <coughs> okay. Huawei. Need to go back to doing your Barry White voice. Yeah. <laughs> so, Huawei. <laughs> it sounds good with Huawei. Welcome to the midnight shift. <laughs> bringing you Huawei till the small hours. Um, <laughs> Last week you did the opposite. You were like, Ericsson did jolly good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did you like my old school yeah. English commentator? That's very one? legit, yeah. Um, uh, they, they're obviously having a mayor, thanks um, almost entirely to the American government victimizing them. And I still, you know, I still maintain, we say it each time it comes up, you know, if Huawei and the Chinese state have, are in league with each other and they have been up to no good, then, then they deserve the repercussions of it. But we still haven't seen much hard evidence that they're doing that. And sometimes you get a feeling that they're just guilty of being Chinese. Mm. Um, you know, and, and what bothers me about that isn't isn't anything specific to Huawei or any other company. It's just due process. Everyone's entitled to due process, no matter what country they're from, and no matter what political agenda is being served. Anyway, that that said, it's also uh, very inconsistent. The whole application of the of this sort of, you know, they've gone they've gone hard on Huawei, but other companies, it's a you know, I mean, this is on. It was kind of. Uh, on the record, so um, I can say it. But when I was talking to Ericsson CEO a few weeks ago, and he was chatting about this geopolitical crisis, he was pointing out that, well, you know, the, the Swedish government buys, you know, buys cars from Volvo, which are which which is Indeed. owned by a Chinese company now, right? Yeah. And then and then we're talking about technology going into cars all the time, aren't we? In fact, that's one of Huawei's pivots is to is to make software for cars. So. Where yeah. do you where do you, st where do you draw the line? You're right. You know? it's, it's completely yeah. it's incoherent. Becoming, it's and as I've always so said, as I've always said, if we've got a problem with with Chinese technology being used as a backdoor into you know 
as a security backdoor, then then why are we happy to have Lenovo servers? Yeah, exactly. And I know there's people actually pushing for because they have this. I didn't realise there's a list called the coordinated list or something or covered right. list. There's okay. the entity list, which yeah. is the list that you that means you can't buy stuff. I think from like American firms. There's also this thing called the the covered list. I think it's called right, which is companies that. Um, you know, that are deemed big security threats and that shouldn't sell stuff into the US, basically. So it's got companies like Huawei and ZTE are both on that. Yeah. Hence this effort to try and rip out the networks that they have deployed. But there's there, there are senators pushing for companies like Lenovo to be added to that list. Yeah. And you think, I looked at how much Lenovo makes in the sort of Americas from sales, and it's massive. I mean, it's, Everyone's as you'd expect, laptop is, it's laptops yeah, yeah. And, and, and IT equipment. If, you, if they went after Lenovo that way and they had something like they've done to... You know that, like they're trying to do to sort of Huawei and strip strip out equipment, so basically stop Lenovo from selling stuff in mm. North America. You you can't. It's impossible to, to see that there wouldn't be some kind of you know retaliation by the Chinese. Yeah, and and the, and the obvious thing for them to do is something like an equivalent would be Apple. Apple. Yeah. And imagine what what sort of world we get into then if they start saying Apple can't sell products here anymore. I mean that's that's really that's really sort of ramping up the stakes to quite a. It's the most valuable level. company. Well, actually, yeah. second after Microsoft. And, and, and their, their sales in China are big, Apple. You know, again, yes. I can't remember what they are, but I remember looking at them. It's a big chunk of sales. It's, yeah. you know, Especially after the Huawei yeah. smartphone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I think I, can, I think I can tell you that because from the story that I'm referring to that we wrote, which is our most read story this week, um, <clears throat> and these days I'm usually getting my smartphone numbers from Counterpoint because uh, they're, they're nice and prompt and it was also founded by a chap who used to be a colleague of mine at Strategy Analytics yeah. called Tom Kang and another chap called Neil Shah they were both on my team when I went there um, so I know they're good guys um, and you know just just to uh, emphasise any numbers you get whether it's Strategy Analytics CounterPoint Gartner IDC or whatever these are estimates. They are, they're positioned as hard numbers, but they're not. No one has access to hard numbers. You can have hard numbers, for example, when Apple was publishing its shipments. And they then stopped yes. doing that, didn't they? Yeah, they stopped yeah. doing that. Um, but Do uh, the others generally all publish their shipment figures? Is it just no, Apple? they don't. It's, they don't it's dropped off. So um, Apple started a trend of not publishing your shipment figures, and it's all become more secretive since they started doing that. <laughs> Well, no, actually, Apple was one of the, f the few that was more transparent. Right. So we used to do an absurd thing when I was at SA, my boss <clears> at the time. For, oh, and I think Tom, went, when he was there, the, the guy who went and found a counterpoint, uh, and Tom's Korean, and he had a good relationship with Samsung. And they, they used to have to play this silly little guessing game with Samsung. They wouldn't just give them the numbers, even as, even as a confidential So, so it's, it's sort of be like, thing. oh, is, is it higher than higher, 50, higher, but is like, it lower than 100 sort of thing? It's like, <laughs> play your fucking cards right. You, <laughs> I expected Bruce Forsyth to go, higher, um, <laughs> when, they were, when they were doing it. So, you know, different people are, are, are cagey in different ways. I mean, I think we used to... I think we used to sometimes wonder if we got numbers from some Chinese vendors, yeah. whether or not they might have padded them out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but certainly when, when, Apple, when Apple was publishing them to the world, that was just taken as gospel. You, you wouldn't um, second guess that. Um, uh, why was I going on about that? Oh, yeah, you were asking about Apple in China. So, um, so yes, so CounterPoint's got its estimates. I'm sure they're fairly accurate, but you know, that's why you get different numbers from different... Yeah. Um, 
from different analyst houses because they're all having a bit of a punt. But they're all showing Huawei going down, aren't they? That's oh, they are. Well, I'll come thing. to the global ones in a sec, but just um, counterpoints numbers for China. Um, they're, doing, they're just offering market share, not outright numbers. Huawei's share of the Chinese smartphone market in Q3 2020 was 30%. In Q3 21, it's 8%. Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty And the, gro- the growth is minus 77% year on year. Um, and minus 18% quarter and, and, on quarter. And the revenue numbers back it up because they've been quite alarmist, Huawei themselves, actually, on, on calls about what's happening with the smartphone business. They were saying they get... I think their devices business is, is maybe 70 billion or something. Ridiculous what they, what they derive. Right. But they get about 50 billion from smartphones. Um, yeah. And they were saying that about 30 to 40 billion of that's, that is going to disappear this year. Yeah. Well, so let's have a look. So, so the story I wrote was um, Huawei consumer business continues to tank. Yeah. And it was based on, you know, the same stuff that we were talking about at the end of the pod last week, and I just expanded on it, and then also looked at global shipment numbers, uh, smartphone shipment numbers. And if you look at Huawei's there, so for example, in Q319, Huawei globally shipped 66.7 million. In Q320, they still managed 50.9 million. Q321, 5.8 million. Wow. Um I mean, that, that implies the figures could be even worse than this. Yeah, so. well, exactly. Um, um, I mean, there's no, especially when you consider it's not, it can't even count on China right now. Yeah. Um, and, and there's lots of reasons why it can't count on China, but basically primarily because it's got extra constraints on its um, access to semiconductors because of the US activity. Yeah. And, and it doesn't get um, proper Android. So I've been writing this for years you know, when when they were trying you, to talk... You, you called it out originally, I remember. You were saying without Android, they're going to die. Yeah, there's just no you, way. You were spot on about that. Uh, you call it full fat. Yeah, full fat, fat Android. <laughs> um, Diet yeah, Android. Th- th- there's, there's just no way. And, and one of the reasons I was able to be so strident about it is I've seen other companies like Amazon try and do forked versions of Android. And what, what happens, the way Google controls Android, even though it's open source and anyone can get hold of the kernel and, and the core um, code... The way they control it is through the Play Store. Yeah. Um, so if you don't play ball according to what Google says, then you don't get the Play Store. And, and what's the fucking point? Yeah. In having a smartphone if you haven't got access. And I've, to the I've app seen store. it happen in practice because my own mum insisted on having a Huawei phone. Right. Because uh, she'd had a previous one that was good, and, and she was doing an upgrade, and the old one was causing problems. And I said, look, it could lead to issues because of all of this stuff's going on, which she wasn't really aware of. She went and got it anyway, yeah. and, and play just stopped working, basically. Right. It just so wasn't, that's, it wasn't usable, and it became impossible to actually... And then other things just weren't working with the phone. It just became a sort yeah. of buggy device. Um, Quite. And yeah, it, because it, you don't have the support. You don't have the constant patching and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you get to say, I told you so. But the provider, which is EE, um, was good enough to swap it. Oh, they yeah. were? Good yeah. for them? That, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, fair play to EE. Got a bit of free kudos for you there. Um, so yeah, so I just rent their consumer business is going down the toilet and you know, it's not, you know, they saying it themselves. I think their, their quote from, from their rotating chairman, once he, once he managed to sort of sit still and sort of, <laughs> sort of swiveling his chair around like a nutter, um, he said, uh, he said, overall performance... Do you know what would be funny? <laughs> so if you're reading it out, you'd sort of read it out like he, he only comes to the mic every now and then, like, overall performance. Because <laughs> he's rotating so much. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, overall performance was in line with forecast. No, I want you to do that. <laughs> no, I can't keep doing that. I'll make myself sick. Um, yeah. Overall performance in line with forecast, said a dizzy Guo Ping. Um, while our B2C business has been significantly impacted, our B2B businesses remain stable. Um, and then just generally, you know, thanks for hang- bearing with us. We'll get there in the end. Um, sort of veiled, veiled shaking of fist at the US without explicitly saying it. So it was in line with forecast, and he says, our B2C business has been significantly impacted. And, you know, as we said last year, their, their revenue, their, um, the year, the nine months, including Q3, their revenues were down 32% year on year. Yeah. Now, you know, I think you've, you've said that it was, at its peak, it was about 50-50, B2C and B2B, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if nearly there's, all of... There's, there's, I think it's 50 um, device, so B2C, and then the other 50% is a mix of um, network and enterprise. But the enterprise is quite small, so yeah. mainly networks. So it's probably about... 40-10, like, let's say that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, like a, a third networks and a sixth um, enterprise, something like that. Um, so if they, if it's dropped thirty two percent, and that's nearly all consumer, and consumers fifty percent of it, that basically means that consumers probably dropped by sixty seventy percent, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and and then when you look at the the numbers, the smartphone numbers that I just read out a minute ago, it stands to reason if their global smartphone shipments are down ninety percent versus a couple of years ago, yeah then, you know, that, that's going to be it. I mean, I would have thought nearly all of their consumer revenue is smartphones. Most of it. I think there's, they, they do tablets, don't they? And they do yeah, some other do devices. Some, they'll do some smartwatches. They do some wearables. And, I don't yeah. know if they do laptops, but I'm not aware of that. But uh, they might do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, it's hard to know <laughs> what more to say, especially as we've already covered the, the Chinese side of it. I mean... The only thing I'll say before sort of asking you for other comment and inviting you to talk about any other sort of Huawei angles you've got, um, uh, I, I, well, I'll just read out my concluding paragraph. Um, I said, with the global semiconductor shortage showing no signs of letting up, nor sparing anyone its ravages, and that includes Apple, I think a hyperlink to a Wall Street Journal story about Apple there, um, Huawei might reflect that there are worse times to be out of the devices market, which is fair enough. I'm sure that's poor consolation, but... Um, there is that. But then I said, but networking equipment needs chips too. Um, and Huawei's stockpiles can't be infinite. There doesn't seem to be too much decline left on the consumer side for Huawei. Uh, you know, if we take those smartphone things, you know, they've only got six million more shipments to lose. Yeah. Um, so if overall revenues <laughs> keep declining at this rate, we'll have to assume the networking business is the cause, was my assumption. Yeah. Or well, the enterprise. I, I think, yeah, I mean, enterprise is where they've, staked their yeah, you know their, their pivot. Their, yeah, exactly. And and clearly that's really small. I mean it's always been small in the annual report. I, it might not even be I don't know, ten percent, twenty percent. It's certainly mm. tiny compared with the consumer and networks. And um you know, where does that come from? I mean it, uh, they've been talking this up in recent meetings with analysts and conferences they've had it's it's all to do with doing software for cars you know that's one area they're trying to expand into and they've talked about developing software tools that you can use for enterprise 5g applications and then the cloud's another big one yeah moving into the cloud and providing public cloud service so competing against 
I mean, it wouldn't nec- it wouldn't be so much AWS and, and Microsoft in, in in the domestic market. It'd be Alibaba, yeah, and Tencent and those kinds of guys. But I mean, that in itself is not an easy market for them to expand in. And I think one of the problems there is um, the big public cloud companies, you know, the 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 Amazons, the Microsofts, the Googles of this world. They have how do they provide those cloud services? They have these big data centers, don't they? Filled with equipment supplied by the likes of Dell and Hewlett Packard running x86 processors, um, which is something that, you know, and this was in that this was reported this week, apparently, uh, by Bloomberg, I think, got the story first. Um, they've, they've, they've had this server business, Huawei, um, that has bought, you know, traditionally bought sort of x86 processors from Intel. Yeah. Which they would presumably need if they're going to be a big player in the in the public cloud, yeah. Um, and they've sold it, you know. So it's pretty much what happened with. Uh, it's not been confirmed by Huawei, I should say. They, okay. They, wouldn't, they weren't commenting. This is a scoop. It's a scoop. But if it's true, and it sounds plausible, um, it's it's very much a similar thing to to what happened with Honor, isn't yeah. it? Um, and Honor's still Honor's yeah. doing well, by the way. Honor's doing well. You know, yeah. it's it's getting rid of a business. So you know, the big issue with Honor was you know the big issue with smartphones generally, as you've, as you've just sort of talked about, is not being able to get the the components they need to produce high end smartphones, especially the stuff they get from uh, TSMC yeah. in, in Taiwan. And and so by selling Honor, and and everybody's going to question what are the links that Huawei still has with that company. Totally, no one really knows who owns Honor now. Well, do except they? that, well, um, no, except that it, the bloke who's in charge of Honor was the Huawei guy who was in charge of it right. when he was at there. Huawei. You are, and there's a government buyer involved <laughs> as well, isn't there? Yeah, there's, which, a, which, there's a lot which of government think, money involved. I don't think sounds very good with this whole argument. We don't have anything to do with the Chinese government, and then all of a sudden, the Chinese. Now the story about these, but, but the business. fact that they've been able to circumvent the the US embargo just it, by that fairly well, and this clumsy. Is, this Maneuver, this, this is the stupid thing about the US embargoes that honors honors flying in, in China now. Well, basically, a lot of the stuff what? that yeah, counterpoints numbers figures. have it up, yeah. um, up quarter on quarter, ninety six percent. Yeah, and then on any entity list or anything, they can go ahead and get presumably anything they want, which is why they're doing so well and why they can still provide five G on their phone. Something Huawei can't apparently do anymore. And it and it sounds Third like in the Chinese market, it sounds yeah. like this service sale is a, is a similar sort of thing. Right. They couldn't get the chips they need from Intel. So they've sold it. Now, the, the, the Bloomberg story, the buyers are not really known, but one's apparently a government-affiliated a government yeah. affiliated company. you know. And, and I talked to a couple of analysts, and they were saying, well, you know, one of the issues about this server business and getting these x86 chips is that, as I say, if they're going to be a big player in the cloud, they would need, that, those, they would need those processors. And it's pretty hard to get them from anywhere else, as you know. You know, Intel's, you look at, I think I looked at some data from S&P Global Intelligence. He was saying that, in, and we talked about Intel's dominance in this area lots, haven't we? But they're, they're, their share of the market for sort of those those x86 processors that go into data centers yeah. is something like 90%, 95%. Well, they've only got one There's only really AMD. Yeah, yeah. And AMD uses the same architecture, and even in its own SEC yeah. filings, complains about the fact that it's pretty much dependent on Well, I, I on think Intel. the whole reason, if I, if I got my history right, the whole reason AMD exists... It's because for antitrust grounds, Intel was forced to give an x86 license to one competitor, and that was AMD. Yeah. Yeah, but and it, then they spent the rest of their AMD time doing dirty tricks to try and keep... Wouldn't them. be able to supply... Sorry, um, Intel lawyers. Maybe that was in the past, and maybe you didn't do it at all. <laughs> but that's what but I they read. presumably wouldn't be able to supply Huawei either, would they, AMD? It's not as though they'd, they'd be, it'd be any well, easier. Well, on a bit of a tear. It's doing well. But yeah, in terms of but scale, it, it still I mean, AMD same- doesn't have its own fabs. 
Uh, funnily enough, what, what used to be AMD's fabs, which is now called Global Foundries, just IPO'd. Yeah. Um, but they don't have their own fabs because that became Global Foundries, uh -huh. whereas Intel does. So in terms of security of supply for server chips, yeah, Intel is and, the and, only but, game in town. Uh, yeah, and, and therefore... One one analyst was saying, and it's it's a guy at um, I think he's called Matthew Bell at Canalis. Is it Canalis or Canalis? Canalis I think they pronounce Canalis, it. Canalis um, was saying that by by sort of divesting this business, in theory, they could use that as a supplier mm. of x86 chips. Yeah, right. so the server chip business becomes a separate entity owned by somebody else isn't subject to US sanctions anymore in the same way Honor isn't. Mm. Gets its x86 chips from the people it needs yeah. and then... And, and then sells them on. And then sells I them mean, on to Huawei. You, then you'd have a similar thing to what the Yanks tried to get um, Meng on, which is sort of shell companies to circumvent embargoes and or or that sort of thing. You know, with, with this new, let's call it, mm. let's call it not at all Huawei servos, um, uh, server company yeah. would, would this not at all Huawei company still be subject to these US rules such that if well, it, it sold to Huawei it would then be punished itself well possibly I because I guess that's the issue with TSMC isn't it it's not an American company yeah. but it uses American tools and technology therefore it's it's not able to supply those because because it goes into the US bad books if that happens. Yeah, the, the Americans but, are so powerful they'll find a way. But 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 TSMC is also not a Chinese company. So they and and they might be less they might be more worried about the impact of US mm. sanctions in the same way that Samsung is than a Chinese company yes, for instance. I would say so. Um, and if this Chinese company and now the Americans might figure out what's happening uh, and I said this when I covered it that they they might even they might even decide to put honor on the entity list at some point. But there's a lot of inconsistencies with the entity list. I mean, the fact that ZTE is not on the entity list, I find quite bizarre. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just that the Americans don't think it's that much of a worry anymore because it's not really in a lot of Western markets, is it? It's not. It never had the the presence that, that Huawei did. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the issue for the Americans with ZTE when it did go onto the entity list. It had nothing to do with security. It was all about um, doing dodgy deals in Iran. Yeah, embargo. Uh, and and stuff. maybe they were never really that worried because it's never had a massive presence outside. China and Africa and some other sort of I think of you're giving markets. them too much credit for even being that coherent. But it seems very inconsistent to me. Yeah. Um, but the cloud business, um, ignoring all of that and looking at this cloud business that Huawei's got, where they're very secretive, they don't they don't reveal much about it. They don't say what the numbers are. I've asked them several times now if I could speak to somebody about the cloud business and get some more information. They've never set up an interview. They've never done. They're actually worse than they've ever been. I think yeah. Huawei in terms of you know, not divulging things and not wanting to put... They went through this phase when all, the, when all the shit was happening with Trump, when they actually became quite open and they were like, this is how we're going to try and deal with things. And there were lots of press conferences, I remember, that journalists got pulled yes. into. And, and they've, they've actually gone away from that, I it's think. It's almost now. like they've thrown yeah, in the towel. Yeah, it's almost like they've thought, well, sod it, we're, we're going we're gonna to sort of... I mean, maybe at the time they entertained notions of being able to get around some of the sanctions more easily than they've been able to. And, and they've realised it's not that, that easy and they don't want to say well, what, probably, the, what the plan B is, but, but because there isn't one. made the very sensible move of, of withdrawing a lot of budget from areas where they're being persecuted yeah. but but the cloud business is it, from so this is the thing you can look at your counterpoint data mm -hmm. and canalis and um another company called synergy research group which is very much focused on the cloud public cloud they do this sort of regular thing about public cloud shares one of the interesting things from that is you can see how dominant um, aws microsoft and google are they're sort of two-thirds of the market and then everything else is quite fragmented yeah. i think the next biggest one's probably alibaba you've got people at like ibm and oracle in there 
their, their estimate of um, Huawei's market share. So Huawei's been going on about how it's the fastest growing cloud provider in the Asia Pacific at the moment, and it's number two in China. Synergy's figure, their estimate for their uh, entire global market share of cloud infrastructure is 1%. Right. Now, so they, they reckon 45 billion was spent on cloud infrastructure services in the last quarter. It's a big market, obviously, with those those hyperscalers in so it. You're so saying you're talking they get half a billion. You're talking 45 billion, but so, their share. So 450 million, let's yeah. say they've got, which is, you know, if you look at it as a as a percentage of, you know, you were talking about Huawei sales going down that much in the last quarter as a percentage of their of their overall sales, it would make cloud about two percent. Right. So it's 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 negligible for a company of yeah. that size. It's negligible. It's not going to save them. So, and then the other thing that's happening is, you know, the network stuff, where it, we we've had this perception that it's been quite flattish. And I think even last time when they did sort of break things down, it was it was gone down a little bit, but it wasn't like this big sort of drop. I think the reason for that is just the swap out times in in networks are much are much longer, aren't they? You know, right. you have this sort of re- replacement cycle that happens with handsets. It becomes quite apparent so it's soon. It's just when not so volatile. You're it's not, not as vol- it. it's not as volatile. It's it's a it's a slower. I mean, you get put equipment in and it can stay there for for years. Yeah, whereas people change their phones all the time. An upgrade mm-hmm. comes out, they go and buy them. So it becomes apparent quite quickly. But if you, you talk to people in the know about you know access to TSMC chips and and the network stuff, um, and and just basically the, the the impact of sanctions, and they all say it will hurt them. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just a matter of time. And they did a lot of stockpiling, and maybe they can still feed off some of that. Um, but it will it will yeah, hurt that's, them. That's and, and at the same with... time, you've got this um, pushback anyway, because the US went around under under Trump, sort of telling people not to use Huawei because otherwise they were going to not sell you jets, and you yeah. know you're going to be in trouble with the Americans if you did. And I think that's one of the reasons why the UK was so was so sort of quick to change its mind about allowing Huawei in. Well, and they it? threatened us over things like intelligence sharing and stuff as well. Exactly, didn't they? and and they've really been throwing their weight around about this. Yeah, and, and and a lot of it's been focused on mobile. Obviously, five G has been the big story. You know, don't use Huawei in your five G networks. We've talked about this a few times on the pod before. What, what's happening in other areas? Optical and fix, you know, where it's actually been the biggest provider. Yeah. It's been a massive provider in those markets, and. One thing that's come become apparent to me in the last couple of weeks, and this is what the story I wrote on Europe, is that it now looks like that that replacement of Huawei broadband equipment in Europe is starting to happen. I think it's going to play out over a much longer time. So and yeah, so take that one from the top. Your 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 assertion in, in your story. I haven't read your that story, I'm afraid, but I'm yep. aware that you wrote it. Um, is is that uh, you're actually starting to see uh, sort of uh, data points? Yeah. The, that point to e- even though we haven't had explicit bans of Huawei in fixed the, networks, the only the only country that's had an explicit restriction is the UK that I'm aware of, where they've said you have to be down at 35 percent of a fibre broadband network by 2023, and then it's been left hanging. What do we do about it after that? Yeah, and the reason that the UK government didn't didn't sort of come in um, and and you know be as restrictive as it has been in 5G is basically because there aren't the alternatives. You know, we talk about the mobile market being controlled by just a few vendors and your only, your only options really are Nokia and Ericsson if you get rid of Huawei. In broadband, it's even worse. You've, you've literally got Nokia, next biggest player, I think, ZTE, so that's no good. Then Fiber Home, which is also Chinese, so that's no good. 
And the next two biggest players are Calix and Edtran. Well, their market shares are less than 5% each, or have been last year. So you're talking, so this is this, when the, um, what's it called, the National Cybersecurity Centre actually came out with an explicit statement. There's no other scale vendors in the market. So basically, if you ban Huawei, you're leaving, you're leaving companies like BT, you're kind of leaving them hanging in a way, yeah? What do they do? Yeah, you know, and, they're, they're going to be solely dependent on Nokia was the implication. But the, f- the flip side of that is, even if there aren't explicit bans, if I'm, you know, if I'm the CTO or the CEO of a telco, yeah, and I'm planning some major investment, or or just a continuation of current investment, um, and I think there's any possibility that a swap out is going to be imposed on me, yeah. I'm probably just want to, going to want to get ahead of the game and just go, fuck it, I'm, going to, I'm that, just not going to and touch it. And that's them. what's happening. You can now see that happening. So it's, it's happened clearly in the UK where BT's brought in Adtran as this third vendor. And, it, and it's now very, very likely, I think, that Adtran and Nokia will be the two companies that are, are responsible for most of the rest of OpenReach's fibre build-out. Um, we, we, when we were at the Broadband World Forum in Amsterdam, this is a question that... You know, Pierre and I specifically asked Howard Watson when we were chatting with him, and he was saying he wants to be able to keep Huawei there till 2031, 2032. But he didn't say... It was interesting, you know, there was a finite point. I mean, it's quite a long way away, obviously, another yeah. decade, because he said that would give them a chance to sort of depreciate the equipment. Yes. But it's still like, obviously, they're thinking there's going to be a point when we need to get Huawei out, yeah? And... You look at, um, there's a couple of really interesting analyst notes that came out this week about Adtran's progress in Europe, um, saying that it's picking up a lot of these right. sort of replacement deals, the analysts put it. Um, Not that, a bad time to be Ronan Kelly. Exactly. So they, they themselves on their own earnings call were saying they've got two, they, they mentioned, they used the word high-risk vendors, which is basically the sort of... Um, the standard term for yes. Huawei, isn't it? The euphemism. You don't, want, you don't want to name Huawei. A bit risky. Yeah. A bit dodgy. So a bit way. It's a risky vendor because we can't possibly <laughs> call it by name. But they've, they they called out that term and said they Tasty won <laughs> three deals with tier one vendors in the past three months, or in the third quarter rather. Um, and that's besides BT. Uh, and now have five altogether. You know, they're, they're on track to be... Uh, quite a big player, I think. I mean, they were already a big player in Germany, yeah. And I, I, so I got in touch with... Um, it's an American company, yeah? It's an American company, yeah. but has like a, a, a European presence. Yeah. Got in touch with Ronan Kelly, who's the CTO of the European business. And he said, on the record, he said, there's some substance in what you're hearing from the analysts. And we're increasingly being asked to do things like ensure their optical line terminals, which is something that's kind of more within the network are interoperable with kind of customer premises equipment from other vendors because the, the plan is eventually to be able to move across to another supplier, essentially. You, you've heard the same thing from from Nokia. So one of, the, one of the things you saw in Nokia's results, which we talked about last week, was this massive increase in fixed broadband. Yeah. About 30% up, I think, year on year, the sales. I mean, a lot of that's because there's just a lot more fibre being built you know, that's a boom market, which well, we're going to talk about in a yeah, minute. Yeah, we will. That's our, that's our next um, segment. That is, that is obviously driving a lot of it. But I asked on the call with um, Pekka Lundmark, the CEO, asked him, are you seeing a similar thing going on that, that happened in, you know, in mobile where companies want to move away from Huawei, either because they're fearing restrictions or because governments are telling them to? And he said, yeah, 
basically right. there's Straight opportunities up. coming up to, to to he didn't say whole again he didn't mention Huawei but he said there's opportunities to swap existing suppliers yeah and and, and, and Cien has been it, saying the same thing about the optical side which isn't fixed broadband that's more kind of the, the transport stuff but again you know that's a that's a market where Huawei's traditionally had a really big presence and we're, we're seeing Sienna as well making you know, saying exactly the same things actually calling Huawei out by name and saying there are opportunities in India um, immediately because they're, they're very very keen on getting rid of Huawei but also in Western Europe over the next few years they're expecting this kind of migration away from it which is a, a big opportunity for them I mean I, I think them and Nokia are the if you look at optical they would be the main alternatives I, I would think yeah and I'm just I was just looking at um, Robert Clark's coverage of the Huawei numbers from a week ago on light reading and he's done the the currency calculations and is saying in, in in that quarter it was about twenty one billion dollars. Yeah, and the previous quarter it was about thirty four billion dollars. So I know this is mainly consumer stuff, but you know just just doing those maths, we've got about um, thirteen billion dollars. I've got to go to someone else, assuming the market doesn't shrink. If yeah. Huawei's not earning it, someone else is. Yeah, um, and you know, and so they're still earning. And let's say, you know, let's say when, when all the fallout from consumer um, stops and they're, let's say, a, I don't know, um, $15 billion a quarter company, so $60 billion annual, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. If that starts declining, that, that can go into the hands of other people as well. I think it'll happen at a slower rate, obviously, yeah. because of the, because we're saying the replacement cycles. The other thing to point out about fixed broadband is it's quite a small market compared with what's spent on handsets and yeah. even what's spent on mobile network equipment. I think mobile network equipment, the best estimate is it's somewhere between, so RAN specifically, radio access network, somewhere between 30 billion and 35 billion annually. Right. Omdia's figures at the moment are eight, about 8 billion on fixed access. So it's, it's much, much smaller. Yeah. I mean, everybody talks about how costly it is to dig fiber networks, but most of that cost, I think, just goes into getting guys out on the street to clog up Garrett Lane. Which you and, and Pierre were bitching about before yeah. we started. The, the, mm. people, the people laying fibre. The, the yeah, laying, laying of cable. the fibre is the, is the expensive <laughs> bit. The actual yeah. boxes that you get from the companies are, they're not cheap. Yeah. But, I mean, 8 billion is still a decent sized market. But if you look at a company like Huawei, so if it has 40% of the market, which I think was what Omdia was saying last year, you know, and it's an 8 billion market, it's... What's, you're good at maths, three, three and a half billion. I don't know what is. Uh, 3.2. 3.2, yeah. So, um, do you know what I do for maths? I, I teach my kids this. When you're doing something like that, like 40%, just do 10% and then multiply by four. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. everyone does that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, except I just so, did it and you didn't. Yeah, so 3.2, and they're still going to get work in China, obviously, and in some other markets. So even if they lose some work some business this isn't going to kill them is it losing fixed access work and optical on top of that i don't know what the size of the optical market is i haven't got estimates for that one but you look at see what sienna makes and what nokia make and it, you know what nokia makes from optical is comparable i think to what it makes on fixed mm. access maybe a little bit less so you know maybe maybe i don't know maybe a bit i don't it's 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 nowhere near as big as the rand market put it like that so it's not going to kill them, but it's it's just another pressure point. And the thing that I, I I wonder is, if they're getting absolutely crucified in handsets, and if the networks business is heading you know for a, a slower decline over the years, yeah, they've still got China, which accounts for a massive amount of their sales, doesn't it? What is it, sixty percent? Yeah. I mean, 
And the, network rand, the rand market alone in China it, is just it, ridiculous amounts of money. The rand market alone is, is a ridiculous amount of money. And those companies will still buy from Huawei. It's not like consumers where the consumers go, well, hang on a minute, Huawei's handsets don't support 5G anymore. Yeah. And there's loads of other Chinese options. Yeah. We'll go and, buy, and the Chinese government isn't going to mind because because there are loads of Chinese options maybe. In in when it comes to the sort of sales to to operators for network equipment, they're kind of forced to do that, aren't they? It's what is it? What is it? The share of that they have of that market ninety six percent, ninety five percent. Yeah, gen- I mean, Ericsson and, and in the last allocations that we had, once once Ericsson's share fell off a cliff, it tended to be about sixty percent Huawei, thirty odd percent ZTE, yeah, and, then and then the, the rest the long the tail. Yeah. So it's, so they have the majority of that market, and that will. That will stay the the way it is, I suspect. Even even with all the problems they've got on the equipment side, and um, so they'll still have a big business there. But it's you just you just wonder whether these areas they're talking about, given what I've said about the cloud, and that just seems to be tiny at the moment. They've got server server chip problems there. It sounds like right. You know, if they want to play in, if they want to actually build data centers like Amazon does that serve that provide you with cloud services, and not just develop some kind of software that can be used in the public cloud. Which is, you know, which is something they could presumably do more easily because they're not going to get hit by US restrictions there. But it, but to actually get those chips is is mm. look, looking like it's a difficult thing to do. And that is very very subscale cloud business, according to analyst reports. Where's the growth going to come from? I just don't yeah. see that these things they're talking about are no. are going to sort of power them to to any. They're not going to compensate for what they're losing no, in other and, areas. You know, and they have to say it. Yeah. You know, because the alternative is is for them. To just go, yeah, we're fucked. It's it's the Yanks are killed. There, us. there was a really interesting piece in the Economist actually. Then the Schumpeter column. Do you ever read that? It's the, it's like the opinion bit at the back of the business right. section. I don't normally get that far. Uh, and if he at was all. To, well. Sometimes I just go to it because if it's relevant. But he was talking about what should happen with Huawei. Dean Bubbly would get there on double speed during one of his doing walks. one of his walks. Listening, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the guy the guy who writes Schumpeter was saying that one option is that Huawei just sort of breaks apart and that all these experts that they've got, you know, with their hundred thousand employees or whatever it's more than that i think 180,000 employees many of them involved in r&d that you could sort of break the company up and and use these people to kind of seed other mm. other firms and other you know other startups and um and maybe this is something that gets orchestrated by the by the chinese government even again no it, would, it wouldn't do it wouldn't do their sort of argument that they've got nothing to do with the chinese government very good well that was but, my point when the, when the honor thing went through yeah that was my point about the um the involvement in the state of the state in the thing it's 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 kind of chicken and egg because they're forced to make these moves by american um sort of commercial aggression and and political aggression um but then but the, america's big accusation is that the relationship between private enterprise and the state in china is too cozy yeah and then the state comes in and bails them out, and and is and is a major stakeholder in this new company they have done. Thus, kind of proving the Americans' point. I know they were forced to, but you know, if if the way they cope with it is through state intervention, they're kind of proving the Americans' point, aren't they? Yeah. Whenever they do that, but then their alternative is just letting the Americans destroy their com- their their sort of flagship companies like Huawei, which yeah. presumably, you know, I, I don't think anyone, China or otherwise, would allow that to happen. If hypothetically. Yeah, the Americans went after a really big British company. Not too many spring to mind, actually. Think of a big British company. I don't know, Vodafone, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
And they went after them and said, Vodafone can't buy our chips or whatever. Rolls-Royce. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Rolls-Royce. Yeah, let's say Rolls-Royce. <laughs> and, and, and they said, you can't get hold of this component that's needed for the engines that you make that make you one of the biggest engine companies in the world. Yeah. Um, you'd think that Bojo would step in, wouldn't you? Yep. Um, How so, would that sound like? <laughs> you go, well, less of that. Blah, but this, blah, is, blah, this blah. is the trouble with Huawei's <laughs> argument. The government's always have something to do with companies, yeah? Yeah, Even in democracies, governments always have some involvement with big companies from that country. Of course. And and in a a totalitarian state like China, even more so, yeah? So it's it's always been a a flawed flawed argument. I think it is a very flawed argument. Are you telling me... um, So there's a couple of things. Obviously, America has got really close relations with defence companies, like sort of Boeing and Raytheon and... And all I mean, the very fact that there's all this antitrust stuff at the moment about Facebook and the big tech companies shows that governments in the countries where those companies are domiciled can, you know, wield great power over them and and well, and I and, think and attempt to break them up even. And as I've said lots of times, and 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 sometimes when I mention this, it antagonises my my fan base. Um, I think a lot of this antitrust against big tech is. Um, born of a desire of the state to have a greater influence, yeah. Um, you know, especially Facebook. That was that was the one that really got my my trolls worked up. I, I stand by it. I, I do think that they're using this woman, Francis Francis Horgan, who let's let's assume I don't know what's going on in her head. Let's assume her motives are pure, but she's still being used. Yeah. Um, and I think they're being used by US and UK governments as a way as a justification for them imposing more control over Facebook. And the reason they want to impose more control over Facebook isn't to protect us from hate speech or whatever. It's because they think quite rightly that Facebook's one of the platforms that has a lot of influence in political outcomes. And that's what freaks them out. That's why we had the Cambridge Analytica storm in a teacup. Cambridge Analytica didn't do anything dodgy at all. All they did was offer offer like demographic data to, to political operators yeah. in the way that countless other similar companies do the only thing they did that that was dodgy i think is to mess around with some of facebook's um data protection rules but in terms of them the whole narrative of them influencing elections was bollocks yeah but 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 the narrative's out there now that that social media big tech internet companies influence political outcomes which is why politicians have such an active interest in it and i've got one other one other thing did you hear the the web summit event in lisbon I think it was on Monday. It was like a massive yeah. event. Uh, it, they opened with Francis Horgan. Right. Which is usually a completely non-political show. Yeah. And then this former investor in Facebook just like called on for like four criminal charges on Facebook. Right. And and then Nick Clegg has to, had to be like, no, we did nothing wrong. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, Nick Clegg. Don't you think that we want this to go away as well? Nick Clegg's <laughs> presumably not got Francis Horgan on his Christmas card list. No. Um, um, one other, just sort of slight tangent, a, a little story I wrote earlier on this week. Um, are you familiar with a company called, uh, I think it's NSO Group, who come up with a bit of software called Pegasus? It's basically oh, spyware. Yeah. It, 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 it allows it allows um, it allows you to sort of hack phones yeah. um, and intercept what's going on in them. It's suspected of being used um, in the uh, assassination of that of that journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and they're they're an Israeli company. I don't know what kind of caveats I need to do, like in terms of covering my ass legally. But you know, I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying this is what's going on. Um, 
and the Americans have put them on the entity list. So this entity list is sort of metastasizing. What's, what seemed to start as just a handy way of, of victimizing some Chinese companies and by proxy having a sort of, you know, uh, a trade war with, with China. Um, they're now using it for, for companies from other places, including Israel, which is obviously a, a strong ally of the US. Now, I don't think this is, I don't for one second think this is an attack at, uh, on Israel. Yeah. It would be particularly baffling given that America just sh- shovels money at Israel for it yeah. to suddenly start um, being aggressive towards it. But, I mean, the, the initial significance of it and lots of people were celebrating it as a good thing, is America could say that it's it's opposing the use of spyware because the, the, the accusation is that this Pegasus software is used by countries like Saudi Arabia or wherever for them to then attack dissidents and attack people that the state doesn't like. Yeah. And so, and that's good. You know, no, no, one, wants, no one wants a government to be able to hack your phone, spy on what you're doing, illegally gather evidence against you to persecute you and all that sort of thing. But one thing that occurred to me is, you know, back to what, what made me think of it is, is my narrative about Francis Horgan. What if they put them on the entity list? What if, let's say, in six months' time, they're off the entity list? And you go, okay, how come they're off it? And, and then you get some kind of press release from the US state going, yeah, they promise to be good from now on. So we've taken them off the entity list. Well, what concession do you think this company will have had to make to the US state in order to get off the entity list? Maybe to give them access to this software so that they can spy on people in, in sort of Edward Snowden-y sort of way. Yeah. I don't have any evidence for that. It's just a, it's just a, uh, a theory. But if they get off the entity list, I think it's perfectly legitimate to ask how, what they did yeah, unless it's, to suddenly get yeah, in the US states exp- good books. It's not explained. Yeah. I mean, we, we, know, we know why ZTE came off the entity list, because it paid massive fines and agreed to replace managers and be supervised by the US for several years, and therefore it came off the entity list. Yeah. But, that was very much in the public eye, but if it's not explained, then those questions are going to get asked. So that's the broader thing. I'm going to, I'm going to move on to the next segment, but that's a, you know, just the broader part of governments using legislation, regulation, antitrust, that sort of thing, as a stick to beat companies with. Um, it's one that's really worth keeping an eye on. Did Pierre just hand you a pink Camden it's, Pale? It it's very cold as well. It feels very like cold. being outside again. Um, so that, that pink can and pale is about 6%, isn't it? No. It's, look on the side. 5.8, okay. Yeah. 5.8, there we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. I thought it was more like 5.4. <laughs> I thought it was over 6, actually. But there we go. Right, I'm going to move it on. Um, Fibre. So we've, we've touched on this already. Um, the, it's good for roughage. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you regular. Um, we, uh, Mary... Wow. Ru- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've really got a. I've got to think of find a way of getting sort of keeps you regular in a fibre headline yeah. <laughs> at some stage in the future. Um, uh, Mary sort of covering quarterlies for us. Yes, they sort of uh, grouped together a few UK um, fibre stories. Um, uh, basically, um, BT. I mean, the long and short of it. I'm not going to go through the story. She, but she did a great job. A nice lot. Nice long story. But but basically, everyone's talking about. Fibre, it seems. BT, yeah. Virgin Media O2 uh, in their quarterly. City Fibre's just um, hit some kind of million milestone of, of rolling it out to, presumably, it's a million premises. Um, 
uh, we've got other little stories like one I looked at today um, Deutsche Telekom has got into a joint venture with a, 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 a private equity an investment company to form a new rural fiber um, company in, in Germany um, so I guess you know the the talking point about this is that we seem to be at a sort of exponential phase of fiber rollout fiber investment and all that sort of thing is that in how you you know perhaps when you were looking at your your huawei um europe stories is that how you see the so we could see it on the streets where we live yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, i mean there's there's a massive amount of money going into fiber basically and you can see that an omdius for that's just what i was looking up by the way okay. like faffing around with my phone i was listening to you I know, that's a bit while i was i'm in an aria i was like can i hand the ball to ian i mean so so omdius forecast if you look at fiber spending in 2019 it actually went down last year i mean maybe not surprising year of the pandemic a lot of things sort of right. took a back seat but i think it's been quite flattish i'm just showing a picture now it's going right. like that so you, you had eight billion i said the market was eight billion yeah their forecast is that by 2025 that'll be a 14 billion right, dollar market. Almost double. Right. So if you're if you're thinking of somewhere to put money at the moment, and the, and this is you can see this already in Nokia's numbers. As I say, you know, 29 percent up. Uh, maybe they're taking a lot of business that Huawei once had. Okay, yeah. which isn't actually growing the market. We'd, we'd have to know what's happening with other companies. But there's a huge amount of spending going into into fiber networks, and a lot of it's come from just. I hate to use that expression, the new normal, you know, but it's true. People having, you know, during the pandemic, people having gone and, and spent time working in their homes. Yeah, Zoom calls and all Zoom that. calls, education, um, you know, and, and the applications themselves are just demanding more and more bandwidth, basically. And of course, everyone's got Netflix and or Amazon yeah. Prime and or yeah. whatever. And and it, and it was a case, you know, years ago, I think we talked about this when we were, were all in Amsterdam, that years ago, you, you struggled to find operators that would justify the case for investing in 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 fiber they were all sort of trying to sweat their copper assets and this yeah. is good enough you know and it was hard to attract interest from investors and it's almost the other way around now i remember daryl at um um at omdia um talking not daryl sorry dario dario not Dar daryl's left <laughs> <laughs> dario dario who we had on the podcast in in amsterdam we're talking about the, the fact that there's like a a pool of investors now just chasing um, fiber that it's almost like there's there's more private equity companies interested in fiber than there yeah. are than there are companies building fiber and you can see that in the UK with you know as Pierre was saying earlier I was just walking walking to the train station earlier today that the streets are all being dug up by a company called G Network that's one of there's there's dozens yeah, now and I've never heard the of UK. them exactly I used to think them, about city fiber and, and hyperoptic maybe and a couple yeah. of others and now there's 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 dozens of these companies apparently Adtran was this is another thing that came out on their call? They're involved in about half of the altnet builds in the in the okay. UK market. AdTrans involved in. And it's probably not surprising because if you're not going to use Huawei, and why would you if you're just starting a greenfield project? There's yeah, no way you crazy. would. Yeah, um, it's either it's, who's it going to be? Nokia, AdTran, Calix, maybe. I mean, I don't know how big they are in Europe. That's the thing. I know they've got a US presence, but you you're not really got that many options. So it's a great time to be, you know, one of those companies. So one thing think, I don't get. Fiber's been around for a while. Light reading gets its name from fiber. Well, it's optical, I think, really. Right. Well, isn't that more or less the same thing? Well, light, you know, photonics yeah, yeah. and stuff isn't necessarily like... like. Um, well, I suppose you could have beams and lasers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But generally, in the, in, the, in the telecoms 
environment when we're talking about sort of optical we're talking about it normally going over fiber i thought maybe i'm just revealing a degree of well they, slash i think they, they light reading started off to sort of covering optical components and things okay. like that and, all right do you want me to take um, steve to ask yeah and and, and interrupt yeah. <laughs> you can inter- interrupt one of his uh, rehearsals there's yeah. stuff going on there as well. I mean, that is yeah. quite a, a hot market. Well, but, well anyway, um, the, the, reason I, the reason I bring it up and uh, immediately exposing myself by trying to talk um, authoritatively on something that I, I'm fairly ignorant about in the concept of telecoms, but it's been around for a while. We've been talking about fibre for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, light reading's been around 20-odd years, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, why, are we, why are we getting this sort of exponential growth phase now? As opposed to 10 years, 5 years, 20 years ago? Well, I guess the applications weren't there 5, 10, 20 years ago, and, and, the, and the usage patterns were different. So I think the pandemic's obviously generated... I mean, the traffic growth in the pandemic isn't to be underestimated, and I think that in itself's generated a lot of the demand for fibre investment that's coming at the moment. So I think that's one big factor. And I think the other one is just... It's not just it's not just happened in fixed. It's happened in mobile as well. You look at consumption on a phone, mm. on a smartphone, what it was ten years ago. How many megabytes were people using a month? Probably not that many actually. And now what they're using? I mean, it's not unusual yeah. to go through tens of gigabytes, is it, in a month? Actually, if not you, if unusual you, at all. If you're if you're someone who watches a lot of films on your phone and does and does gaming and all that sort of stuff, and I think the same things happened in, in you know. A, I thought Ronan Kelly of Adtron, who I mentioned earlier, gave a really good presentation in Amsterdam about average households and what what goes on in That's them it. now. Yeah, and he was talking about his own house. So he's got two teenagers. I think might be saying like this on the podcast Fortnite or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and, he said it publicly. Yeah, and he's got um, so you know it's a family with two two teenagers doing gaming. They've got a couple of 4K TVs in the house. And, and he was saying it's not unusual for it to be... It's tens of gigabytes a month. It's more than tens of gigabytes. It's going up to uh, oh, over 100. Fixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over yeah. fixed now. I mean, I remember a few years ago when I was on a usage platform on BT's network, you know, six, seven years ago, when we just got our first fibre package. What, and it and was metered? We, it was metered then. Right. We were capped at 30 or 40 gigabytes a month. And then I went over that a couple of times because I think we streamed some films. Yeah. This is, remember, seven years ago is before... Things like Netflix and Amazon were so a typical household probably doing smart TVs. I don't know. There's probably data. I don't even know if Ronan mentioned it, but a typical household is probably doing about 100 gig a month or something. I, I yeah. wonder like how much. I think like, it's 160 uh, was the figure he gave. Right. Really. But he, but he said that was pulled down by the fact that you get a lot of older households who don't use much at all. Right. So if you actually so look at with people teenage with kids, teenage yeah. kids, it's re- it could be even higher. But think about how many homes now have smart TVs and how many had them. Were smart TVs even around seven years ago? I don't know. When was the first smart TV sold, commercialised? around there, yeah. So mm. that in itself, I think, is a huge difference. I mean, we don't watch any TV at the moment that isn't through the internet. We don't tend to watch any sort of broadcast, broadcast yeah. stuff at all. I don't pay for we, we, a licence. I, I don't pay for I a licence either. Oh, my God. No, I don't. I, I, I don't either. It. We don't watch BBC. We don't have the app. We don't use it. Can you prove it. that you never watch you, BBC? Where we, yeah. we phoned up specifically to say, can you do that? And they said, as long as you don't have the app downloaded and you're not doing anything like that, you, you don't have to pay right. it. Fair enough. So, and all we ever watch is... So you two don't pay a TV license? I no. feel like such a mug. I do. So we, all we have is do Netflix, watch- Amazon, Disney, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that's all our viewing is on those, and and we'll just stick something on in the evening, a series that we want to watch or watch whatever a lot it might of be, YouTube on TV or a film. Actually. Yeah, you, right. the kids watch a lot of YouTube actually as well. Yeah, uh, I wonder. I can confirm that. What happens if you watch like a Graham Norton clip on YouTube? Does that count as the BBC? Well, that's it. Or or, or you go onto the BBC Sport website or something like that. I mean, does that count? Or is it only if you watch a clip from Match of the Day on the BBC? Well, I don't know. 
But, you know, if, if you two uh. can... I mean, I don't, I don't believe... It's, this is a complete <laughs> tangent. I don't believe in the licence fee because I think it's a form of taxation that doesn't go through normal democratic channels. But I'm conflicted. Like, my dad, for example, is really hostile to it. But I'm conflicted because there's so much content I've really enjoyed on the BBC over the year. I mean, all the... Not not all, but most of the best comedy from, from my childhood, like Young Ones, Blackadder, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, going back to Faulty Towers, whatever. Uh, well, um, I stopped paying when they but, fired uh, Jeremy Clarkson, actually. But they have, <laughs> but they have things like um, Faulty Towers on Netflix now, and, you know, you can watch it on that. No, but so. but, but I, the reason I'm conflicted about the licence fee is, would the Young Ones have been made if it wasn't for the novel funding model that the BBC has? Would ITV have made the young ones? I don't know. Maybe they would. I mean, there's, there is other good stuff. I think uh, Red Dwarf was an, was an I ITV I think the, thing. the trouble is that in the current climate, I could, probably couldn't see it being made at all by the BBC. I think the BBC 20... Not in the current climate. Tw- BBC 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is very different from the BBC now. The BBC yeah. now is just this sort of lead, lead woke campaigner, it well, seems, yes. that they're won't not, do anything not. unless it ticks a lot of boxes. So. Do you know now there's a Mila Kunis. Do you know Mila Kunis? Yeah. She has a show that's funded with nfts wow yeah so basically fans of the show pick whatever where they want the story to go by buying nfts i think this is more or less what the thing is yeah i feel like such an old person when yeah I heard this. so so that gets into a sort of blockchainy type of thing yeah that's almost like role-playing games isn't it yeah. where you turn to page 50 if you want your character to oh you just reminded me of the cave i should say it now on the podcast in case i forget I was thinking, like, sometimes people uh, ask me, yeah, what's your next book going to be? And I haven't got any ideas. Yeah. It took me 10 fucking years to write this one. But um, it suddenly occurred to me, it might be quite fun. Me and my, my mate, uh, Gavril, we've known each other since um, secondary school. And we first met because we used to buy those, yeah, those, I those did. books. Yeah, I did. When I was that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve Jackson and Indian yeah, yeah. Livingston, I think it was. There was Lone Wolf was one series, I remember that. Yeah, I, I think to. the very yeah. first one was called Warlock of yeah, something I haven't watched the Black Mirror movie like this on. I remember yeah, that one. Well, they, I, I had the same it. book, yeah. the Warlock thing, Fire Top Mountain. Yeah, that's it. That. Wow. Anyway, have I you just, watched the Black Mirror movie? Is it good? That one where you you supposedly so that, that's have that's that a, model. That's the model of that that, that movie, isn't is it? it you choose what's going to happen. I haven't watched no, it. I should not. do. I should yeah. do. It's a bit of a shit effort. There aren't that many choices. Oh, so you have tried it? Well, I watched that episode, but it wasn't very interesting. I thought it was a movie. I thought no. they did a movie as well that was based on that that concept where you basically decide what to do. And yeah. Bear Grylls has done this actually on a, on one of his sort of survival shows where yeah, there's a Bear Grylls series that he did for Netflix where you get to pick should he go down the canal or should he climb up the mountain? <laughs> yeah, and, and should he eat this food or should he eat that food? And, and if you pick the wrong choice, sometimes he eats something that kills him. You know, and, so so and my idea for a book, or, or he gets ill and he's like, I'm going to have to stop doing this now. And you know. so my idea for a book because because what what interests me. Uh, you know, as as a writer, if I'm not writing about telecoms, is is sort of humanities, you know, uh, politics, economics, psychology, um, ethics, all that sort of stuff. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to write a book where you where you've got whatever narrative you've got, but you're forced to make sort of let's say ethical choices, yeah, and then you could have some quite fun yeah. going down rabbit holes of what the consequences of those ethical choices are. So you heard it first here, folks. Hang around for another ten years, and I now. might actually write it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're sixty, we can come back here and celebrate. Right, but we, we should go back onto five. Yes, well, it, yeah, and, and we're and we're going to run out of time soon. But we we got time to sort of do any other fibre 
Have you got any other well, sort of fibre thoughts? I thought BT's um, update was interesting this week, and, and uh, presumably that was one of the things that Mary yes. sort of pulled into That's a little. That's what she led on. Yeah, yeah so they, they had this um, earnings update that was really well received by the markets. I think their share price was up quite a bit, maybe mm. five. I mean, it's still well down on what it was, obviously, a few years ago, after all the sort of issues they've had. But they, I think I sold my tenor of BT. The, the guy who's... 20p, I think. Yeah, the guy who's um, heading it now, Philip Janssen, has obviously done quite a good job, I think, just, just on basic cost control. And yeah. it's quite interesting how they've moved away from all the stuff they were trying to do on under Gavin Patterson, his predecessor, who was a very sort of flamboyant figure, you know, yeah. shirt unbuttoned to the waist, locks <laughs> flowing like David waist. Hasselhoff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was very much about sport and let's spend loads of money on TV exactly. li- license rights for, you yeah. know, to so we can watch the He Liverpool. probably just did it because he quite fancies going to the footy. Yeah, exactly. Of course, they're, they're all into it for that reason, yeah. aren't they? I mean, that's why these billionaires <laughs> buy football clubs. They're just yeah, big yeah. kids, basically. But but this this guy, Philip Yancey, is obviously much more focused on trying to make it an infrastructure company and realises, I think, that... I mean, they came under a lot of pressure from Ofcom, didn't they, over the years to do more about funding high-speed networks. And then we've had all these companies coming along, like City Fibre, now G Network, Hyperoptic, whoever it might be. Virgin Media is the big one, obviously, funding mm-hmm. funding infrastructure. You know, BT needs to move. and let, Otherwise, it's going to be left behind, Yeah. It, it, it won't even be a case of the regulator leaning on it. It will be, it will just be just get yeah. yeah, but they, the interesting thing is they've gone from this position where they looked sort of in, in danger a little bit, I think at one stage, in terms of what could happen with their market market share I get in this sort of fibre era potentially, to being quite confident and really upbeat about about winning the game. I mean, you almost said, we don't know what the score is going to be. We're talking about market share. We don't know what the score is going to be, but we know we're going to win. Right. And, well, I mean, they're, they're rolling out a lot more quickly than anybody else. This is the thing. They're on six million households. I mean, you were talking about how bad the UK looks next to other European countries on full fibre rollout. Yeah, but look at the improvement Let's over the last up. year. They're, they, they're rolling out more quickly than any other operator in Europe, BT, full fibre. Um, that is something they've done really, really well. Um, you know, take-ups another matter. Um, but they've now got this. They've now got this deal with Ofcom, where they're allowed to price fibre at the price they want, yeah, to make a decent return on it. I see. Which was a critical thing because that's something they'd always when, been. When was that? That was done in the la- within the last year. That, right. that deal. I mean, that would always been one of the sticking points of BT, unless they get the right regulatory framework, and they're and allowed. What's to, the incentive for us? Then what's yeah. the incentive? And that would always that been a sticking point for years and years and years. But you know, Ofcom's basically given them a lot of pricing freedom, and they've now got these big. And um, Ofcom can do it for the reasons we just detailed because they're not a monopoly anymore. So, yeah, well, that, this so is Ofcom the thing. would have been much more yes. hesitant to give them a There's free There's infrastructure-based competition. Yeah. But is there enough infrastructure-based competition to derail BT and mean that mm. it's not the dominant player? I don't know. And that's sort of, you know... So Philip it still Yancey's must have like, multiples of the number of premises. Well, they're, than, they're doing 25 million by 2026 is their goal. I mean, I think the next, you know, Virgin Media's got this big plan. They'd be the next biggest one. But they don't cover the whole country. They're, what? 60% of households, 70%, right. I think. There's a big gap there. And then you go down to City Fibre, where they were, I think their ambition was 5 million premises or something. It's much, much less. And they've just less. hit a million. They've just hit a million. Yeah. So it, it's a big difference. And they've now got these um, retailers that use their service, you know, the, the whole the, the kind of wholesale service, the people that buy stuff off OpenReach, signed up to these deals. Long-term deals with Sky, Talk Talk, you know, the big, the big guys in the broadband retail market kind of locked in. 
over a period of years to, to resell the BT service. I just think things... And then and the other thing that was interesting about them, this is what one of the reasons why they're forecasting a kind of big improvement in, in free cash flow and um, and a fall in costs over the years, is they now reckon they've managed to reduce the cost of build-out from previously they were sort of saying about 300 quid a home down to 250. So it's a big difference if you if you multi, you know if you add, the, add that all up over lots of households. And he got asked about this on the call, Philip Janssen. Do you think that's a competitive advantage versus other fibre builders? You know, have you done it? And and could other fibre builders achieve the same thing? And he's basically, yeah, it is a competitive advantage because mm. it gives them a pricing advantage, doesn't it? Or it gives them a profit advantage. And he was saying that the reason they've been able to do it is just the scale they've got. You know, the whole economies of scale argument. You're, t- you're targeting 25 million premises. You've got 6 million covered. It's going to be a really hard thing for other companies to match that. I and mean, this is one thing I'm going to do next week is re- reach out to people like City Fibre and ask them what they think about that. What are their build-out costs per home? And how, you know, how important is that? But they're looking... There's still a lot of questions about BT. I'm not saying it's all great yeah. for them, but certainly in terms of fibre and what's happening in that market and how well they're doing on the build out I think there's reasons to be kind of optimistic about them yeah and then just to wrap up you know the sector on the whole you can see why private equity and you know investment money is keen on it as part of a portfolio because it's basically a guaranteed it's, ga- it's long term guaranteed returns yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like it's like putting money in you know in sort of sovereign bonds or yeah. something like that you just know it's safe People, it's not like people are going to stop using. And more so than ever now. Yeah. More so than ever, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, and then, like, to answer my own question about why it's in the exponential phase, you know, and you talked about general usage and then and then mobile usage, and obviously for 5G, you need the, the backhaul, yeah, which is, which which is, is fibre as well. We haven't talked about, but that's really um, important, actually. So there's, there's, just no, there's just no risk attached to it. The only risk attached to it is whether or not you get an adequate return on your investment but there's no risk of you losing your money yeah at the very least you've just got this asset that's going to be used forever a lot um so yeah i mean it's not you know i always find one of the reasons telecoms.com covers mobile more is i just find it more interesting myself and i'm and i'm the editor so there we go yeah um but you know fiber fiber is where the excitement is really in the it's where the money is at the moment yeah, I yeah. Mean, 5g's been really disappointing let's be honest yeah, pretty well, well as, I mean, as we covered with, with dean last week it pretty yeah. continues to be so i suspect Whereas fibre is, it's connected with five G. Actually, it's part of the five G story, and it's its it's its own story, you know, in its own right. So, oh, actually, I've got one quick thing I want to cover before we move on to the final segment. Um, I did a webinar with Qualcomm earlier on this week. It's a commercial thing. I wouldn't normally bring it up on here. Yeah. But the subject matter was millimeter wave, and you know, and I even said on on the because they they got me quite involved. <laughs> it was like a to and fro. It wasn't just me topping and tailing it and doing the Q&A. Uh, and I said on the podcast, we often joke that uh, the only way millimetre works is if you're sat on top of a base station. Yeah. And obviously, given that it was a commercial thing, I, had, I then went, that's not really the case. That's just a joke. <laughs> but, um, but the guys, um, the two Qualcomm guys presenting, did do a good job of adding to my understanding of, of the nuance of millimetre wave and basically how it enters into the mix. So the difference between 5G on a lot of levels and previous generations is you've got these three sort of bands. In fact, we're going to get into the middle band in a sec. Um, you've got these three bands. You've got the traditional band, which we've, we've used forever, which has got a great range and propagation characteristics. You got, you got, And then as you go up frequencies, you get poorer propagation characteristics, but you get more of it, so you can have a fatter pipe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and millimeter wave is at the top end of that. 
so it's got the it's got the most rubbish propagation characteristics, but there's loads of it. And so it's just into the mix in really sort of dense, like stadiums, shopping malls, um, big transport hubs, all that sort of thing. You know, and it just reminded me that while we'll continue to be sceptical about millimeter wave as a until it proves itself as a viable sort of commercial um, component of the mix, um, I do have to say that Qualcomm did a decent job of reminding me that there is a place for it. Yeah, it's just quite specific. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no one's ever going to be using millimeter wave to just use a mobile phone under normal circumstances, but in, but in really sort of dense usage areas, it does have a place. Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to stop there because we we're running out of time. Um, so yes, talking about the middle band, um, you know, we call it more broadly mid band, but in the states they've got a bit of mid band that they call C band. I, I honestly lose track of all these fucking bands if I'm honest. Um, it's like listening to a radio station <laughs> band of the week um, and uh, and they did an auction of this C band which is about 3.7 gigahertz to about 4.2 gigahertz so classic mid band kind of spectrum they did an auction of this C band at the start of the year and uh, rinsed American operators for about 81 billion bucks yeah quite a lot um, of money Quite a lot of money, but you know, as ever, they think it's worth it because uh, because mid band's a big part of the five G mix. Yeah, that's where you get. But I think it's worth it because they because they because well, the US government certainly thinks it's worth it because they need some money. Oh yeah, well, and, don't get me started. We don't have time for for me to rant about who who is it for governments to charge. I mean, it's probably better than it is in Europe because they're, they're, I think their licenses just last forever, don't they, in the US. It's not like they renew them. Do you know? What, I don't know. Do. Yeah, I think that's one of the big right. differences between the US and Europe. Is yeah, they're about they ten years license, license here, aren't they? and they just they're just a license 10, that you permanently years. have. Or is it they run out after ten or fifteen years? Yeah, you and then you the, get to you have to pay it. For you it get again, to go back into the piggy yeah. bank again. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what the reason I'm bringing it is up is not to not to moan on behalf of AT and T and Verizon and, and T Mobile, and it, and I wouldn't on their behalf, but of course those costs get passed on to consumers. So it is basically a form of tax, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, these, these license fees. Yeah. Um, is that there was just a little thing. It was, it, I think it's a Wall Street Journal um, piece that went out yesterday. I covered it this morning. Um, Light Reading covered it yesterday. That AT&T and Verizon are delaying their rollout of 5G services over the C-band spectrum that they bought at the start of the year. Because apparently the American aviation regulator, the FAA, is worried that it mucks about with airline safety systems, which which are over that spectrum. I think they're at the upper end. I think they're at about 4.2 or something like that, yeah. some safety systems. And the reason I bring it up is, you know, obviously if it does, then you need to look into it. But what, what were they doing auctioning this stuff, raking in $81 billion when there was a possibility of this being an issue. It's absolutely remarkable. And then in the in the nine, ten months since then, why hasn't it come up? Why is it only now, in early November, when they were about to roll it out in a month's time, yeah. that they're having to delay it? So there's just kind of well, a smell the, of rats. It's all F- a bit weird. It, yeah, the FAA is just trying it on, isn't it, I think? Well, tell me. What, um, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I don't know much about it because it's a sort of thing... No, but you've been get, doing a little bit of reading yeah, up. I did, well, I, there's... Um, so... One of the one of the analysts we use, Strang Consult, we mentioned them a few times, and a lady at that company called Rosalind Layton, who yep. is American and covers US things to some extent. I mean, she had a really interesting note on it that she sent me. Um, I, I might as well just read out what she said mm. because 
I haven't had a chance hopefully, to write about that myself. Mind. But she, she so basically she sue us for copyright. She, she'd be very happy to be, to be <laughs> called out. No, she was. She said the things that you were saying, and then she, and then she goes on and basically said, you know, at the eleventh hour, the Federal Aviation Administration issued an advisory that five G transmissions could interfere with altimet- altimeters right. in nearby bands. It does not have specific evidence that this is a problem, but it refers to tests conducted in worst-case scenarios. These tests were later discredited as being unrealistic and unreliable. The FAA has asked aviators to submit data, which it will forward to the FCC. It is also warning of substantial risk of loss of life and property. You know, on the, And then she goes on to say, on the one hand, we can see that the FAA is risk-averse, so it will prefer to have no 5G at all. On the other hand, it's likely that there are millions of old and defunct altimeters installed, which could malfunction for any reason at all. Mm. The FAA does not want to check for these or to ask all aviators to upgrade their equipment. It's a far smarter strategy to blame it all on 5G. I see. And, and that, to me... Looking at I don't know the ramifications, but looking at the way things have happened, as you just said, this has been a long, drawn-out process. Why is this all of a sudden coming up now? And you say you smell, you know, smell a rat. Well, that really would sort of explain to some extent what's going on, wouldn't it? I, and think, it there, would... I think there's some aggro between the FCC and the FAA. Yeah, um, yeah, FCC obviously. But, but it's funny because it's it's. Um, it's pretty disastrous, isn't it? If you're an operator, if this is going to slow yeah. things down, I mean, if you've built into your business plan that you need, we talked about mm millimeter wave and how rubbish it is, and despite you know Qualcomm's you know <laughs> enthusiasm and Nokia's getting excited about it, let's be honest, it's still rubbish. Yeah, it's still <laughs> it's still Qualcomm. it's still I a tried. pretty it's still a pretty useless technology in terms of providing wide area coverage. Yeah. Um, oh, and, I don't think I don't and, think even Qualcomm would deny yeah, that. And the millimeter, the mid-band spectrum, which they've been rolling out in, actually not rolling out that quickly, according to some stakeholders, but rolling out in Europe and other parts of the world, is is the sweet spot for five G. Yeah, it's you get the coverage to some extent. Okay, it's not exactly what you get on your two G, three G grid. You know, you might have to put more equipment in. You might have to take advantage of more efficient technologies to be able to cover the same kind of area. But you get that combination of coverage and high speed. It's a sort of sweet spot between the two. You go you go too low down and you're getting a, a, a basically not much better than a 4G service. In fact, it might even be worse than 4G in because terms of capability. And you're you go to, and, five megahertz and you go chunks. too high up and you end up with like you said, you need to sit on top of a base station. Mm-hmm. So mid band spectrum is the real it's valuable stuff. Supposed to be stuff. the best of both worlds. And, and for the for the big operators in America to all of a sudden be told they have to delay their rollout yeah. while this this ridiculous issue gets investigated that should have been dealt with months if not years ago yeah. it's just it's outrageous i mean how much could this potentially cost them do you think in terms of well you know, it, it depends if it's just a, a month i mean the wall street journal thing attempted to answer that question i think they they sort of interviewed some experts uh, and they said if it's just a month delay it's it's not a big deal yeah, um, because you know this stuff is a month will be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but, but the, the thing about it, and I think it's affected their share price. This story. The thing about it is, obviously, if you're if you're an investor or if you're an equity analyst, you're thinking, well, is it just going to be a month, or are we going to get to the end? Are we going to get to the start of next year? And they delay it again and again and again. Anytime you introduce one delay, you create yep. the, the prospect of other delays. I, I, I find it hard to believe that something like that, where a major organisation like the FAA has come along and said this interferes with, with altimeters or whatever, would be resolved in four or five weeks, knowing how legal things yeah, play out. and knowing that they haven't been able to resolve it up until now. Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I, think, I think you're right. I think that month, that month feels like an odd... 
little little bit on the end. I mean, from the from the point of view of the operators, obviously they've got to do it because let's say if there's even a one percent chance that there's something in this, and then the plane falls out of the sky, yeah, or crashes into a mountain because its altimeter is fucked up, yeah, and and they can be held culpable because this is what it comes down to is culpability, isn't it? Yeah, and they can be held culpable for not delaying it. Then then they're obviously in all sorts of trouble. Exactly. So it's the um, sort of thing that any anybody who's on the regulatory side who doesn't quite know the science and the details is yeah. just going to go, hang on a minute. This needs to be and we've just had we've just had eighteen months of the most profound risk aversion yeah. injected into into <laughs> our culture, so uh, you know everyone's yeah. kind of heading that way instinctively anyway. Exactly. Um, exactly. But you know, I mean, these bands, you know, they're they're, they're being used in Europe. Yeah. Um, and no planes have fallen out of the sky or, or or even had a bit of a nightmare, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the details of what of what bands uh, European airspace uses or whatever for... I mean, you get into all sorts of complicated things here about, about which Spectrum's been awarded for which particular technology yeah. or service in, in which part of the world, and it does vary a lot, doesn't it? But there is some kind and of... And our mid-band's a bit more three and a half rather it than It is, four. but there is supposed to be some kind of harmonisation. That's why they have these world yeah. conferences, isn't it, on, on the use of Spectrum, and it's not just about telecom, it's about Spectrum that get used for other applications as well. So... Yeah, it seems odd that it would be a US issue and not an issue anywhere else mm. at all. But um, yeah, it's it's a, I think it's a fascinating story though. It's not one I've tracked, but um, no, it kind of came out of the blue, um, and I just I just spotted it today. I, I might not have covered it, but I'm pleased I did because you know, in summary, and we'll have to wrap it up soon. Because I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to end it bang on three thirty like you wanted, Pierre. I'm so disciplined. Um, is that I mean. So the, the the one month delay, all right, not the end of the world. If it was a month, one month delay, just because, you know, just because I couldn't be bothered or whatever, no one would think twice about it. Yeah. But it's 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 because it's created a new thing that, to the best of my knowledge, no one was talking about before. I mean, have you ever in, no. encountered this? So I've no, I've never heard of. I mean, the last a, thing I heard of was I mean, the big issue with with five G spectrum being allocated in the US for a long time, and why midband hadn't been awarded quicker was to do with satellite interference. That was the thing. Yeah. Because it was, it was stuff that was and being used And C-band was a satellite thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think. And then in other parts of the world, like Russia, for instance, I think the mid-band spectrum has be, been used by the military. So yeah. So had to clear it for... And I think it might not even have been clear. They're talking even about using different, slightly different spectrum over there. I don't know, quite know what the situation is at the moment. But there are always issues with... with Spectrum's a finite thing. So yeah. if you take a band, there's a good chance that it's being used for something. Yeah. And, and you can't you have people into that. You can't to, have people using mobile phones over a band that you used to remote control a drone or something like completely, that. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, we better wrap it up there. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. To, I mean, if, even if it just goes away, that's a story. Yeah. Like, why did it come up? Why did it go away? Is this just some stupid little bit of saber rattling between two federal agencies in the US? Yeah. But. It's worth us making a mental note to keep an eye on it because uh, however it progresses, it should be an interesting story. Cool. Right, there we are. 3.29, Pierre. Um, so I will I'll wrap up now. I will say thank you very much for listening and make, make sure you join us for the next one. Bye.